Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Monday, June 15th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show features an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Be sure to subscribe to the show in your podcast app to catch every episode and follow our department across all social media at LA Public Health. And now, Dr. Ferrer. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, Thank you so much to the entire Board of Supervisors uh, for their strength and leadership in service of our LA County community. I'm going to start by updating everyone on our current status. I am sad to report 20 additional people have died from COVID-19. 14 of the people who passed away are over the age of 65 and 13 people over the age of 65 who died had underlying health conditions. One person who died was between the ages of 41 and 65, and this person also had underlying health conditions. Information on the five deaths that are being reported by the city of Long Beach are available at longbeach.gov. Of the 15 newly reported deaths uh, that exclude the deaths reported by Long Beach, 10 were among people who were residing in our skilled nursing facilities. And this does bring uh, the total number of deaths to 2,832. And we are mourning with the many, many families who have lost loved ones to COVID-19. We're thinking of you and we're praying with you every day. 93% of people who have died from COVID-19 did have underlying health conditions and the number has stayed consistent throughout the pandemic. And as a reminder, uh, we still ask that older adults and people with underlying health conditions, uh, please stay home as much as possible, avoid close contact with others. uh, And if you have even mild symptoms, that would be the point at which to contact your healthcare provider immediately. And if you need a provider, just a reminder, you can call 211 and they'll give you information on providers in your community. Today, we're reporting 1,633 new cases. I want to note that 500 of these new cases reflect delayed reporting from one particular lab. This brings the total number of people who have tested positive for COVID-19 in LA County to 70,476. The 70,476 total cases we're reporting include 2,512 total cases that are reported by the city of Long Beach and 1,023 total cases that are reported by the city of Pasadena. We're also reporting in this group 488 confirmed cases among people experiencing homelessness. 211 of the people experiencing homelessness who tested positive for COVID-19 were sheltered and they're now appropriately isolated and their close contacts are quarantined. There are currently 1,389 people that have confirmed cases of COVID-19 who are hospitalized uh, at this point. 29% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU, and 20% of the people who are hospitalized are on ventilators. This is a stark reminder that although the number of people in the hospital on any given day has gone down, Uh, over the last couple of weeks. The people who are in the hospital often require care for many days and they require care uh, in the intensive care unit. We've investigated a total of 612 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed or suspect case of COVID-19. Of these, we're currently investigating at 501 
uh, congregate settings or non-residential settings. Um, we've closed investigations at 111 uh, institutional settings. In order to close an investigation, it means that there have been no new cases for 14 days. Uh, these settings include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment, cent treatment centers, supportive living, correctional facilities, workplaces, food and retail, and educational settings. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is now at 16,142. This includes 10,510 residents and 5,632 staff. This accounts for 23% of all of the cases uh, in LA County. I am sad to report that 1,502 people who were living in institutional settings have died from COVID-19, and 89% of the people who lived in institutional settings and passed away resided in skilled nursing facilities. A portion of the deaths also occurred in assisted living facilities and correctional facilities. To the families and friends of the people who lived uh, in these facilities and did pass away from COVID-19, our hearts go out to you, and we're very, very sorry for your loss. We're also reporting 1,027 confirmed cases at some point in jail facilities. There are 768 among people who are incarcerated as reported by the Sheriff Department and 259 staff. There's also 178 cases in the state prison. 128 are among people who are incarcerated and 50 are among staff. And there are 759 cases in the federal prison facilities. 744 among people who are incarcerated and 15 among staff. There are now 32 cases in the juvenile facilities, 15 among staff, I'm mean 15 among youth and 17 among staff. Uh, that's an increase uh, from uh, Wednesday uh, of one for staff. I am sad to report that an additional person has passed away from COVID-19 that was incarcerated at Terminal Island this brings the total number of people who were incarcerated at Terminal Island and passed away from COVID-19 to nine. And to the loved ones and the friends of the person who recently passed away, we're deeply sorry for your loss. You can find information on confirmed cases in these facilities as well as our dashboard at publichealth.lacounty.gov. The LA County Sheriff Department is reporting 332 positive cases among staff 298 staff are quarantined, and 1,797 staff have returned to work. The LA County Fire Department is reporting that 605 staff members have been tested for COVID-19. 32 staff have tested positive, 11 are isolated at home, 31 have returned to work, and one person is home ill. Thank you, Sheriff Villanueva and Chief Osby for providing us with this information every day. Over 761,000 COVID-19 test results for individuals have been reported to LA County's Department of Public Health, and 8% of the people who have been tested over time are positive. There are still appointments that are available at the regional testing sites. You can find testing sites and make an appointment online at covid19.lacounty.gov testing. I do have an update today on race, ethnicity, and income level data that we're collecting and looking at closely to understand how COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting 
some groups uh, in our county. For the 2,629 people who passed away where race ethnicity data has been identified, 41% are Latino Latinx, 29% are white, 17% are Asian, 11% are African American, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. We do analyze these numbers as rates per 100,000 people so that we can make comparisons with other groups across the population and really better understand which groups are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. And while the number of deaths has decreased slightly across all groups, there continues to be significant disproportionality. The death rate among Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders is 52 people per 100,000, 52 deaths per 100,000 people. And among African Americans, the death rate is 33 deaths per 100,000 people. For people who identify as Latino and Latinx, the death rate is 32 deaths per 100,000 people. For people who are Asian, the rate of death is 23 deaths per 100,000 people. And for whites, the death rate is 17 deaths per 100,000 people. When you look at this data by community poverty levels, we also see that people who live in areas with high rates of poverty continue to have almost four times the rate of death for COVID-19. 56, 56 deaths per 100,000 people. This is compared with communities with very low poverty levels who had a death rate of 15 deaths per 100,000 people. These numbers continue to be very disturbing and they do require immediate action. As Supervisor Solis noted earlier this week on Tuesday, the Board of Supervisors heard and unanimously carried a motion authored by Supervisors Solis and Kuehl entitled A Just and Equitable Response to the Disparities Illuminated by the COVID-19 Pandemic. I want to extend my deep appreciation for the Board's leadership and support in calling out racism as a public health issue and that this is magnified during the COVID-19 pandemic. Most importantly, racism is a problem that's best addressed through a multi-sector response, like the one that's outlined in the motion, that builds upon the strengths and trusted relationships of many different partners within and beyond government. And it's fueled by a desire to change fundamentally systems and practices that negatively impact people of color and people living in poverty. While these are challenging economic times, my colleagues at the Health Integration Alliance, Dr. Galley and Dr. Sharon, and I fully support the innovation required for the county to eliminate uh, racism and to address uh, innovative, to come up with innovative solutions uh, that will actually make a difference. In particular, we're all looking at working together to support local community-based clinics and organizations for their expertise, highly skilled workforce, passion and commitment to serve their communities and to carry out the very activities that increase access to the services desperately needed to address the disproportionality we see among people who are suffering from COVID-19. This includes COVID-19 testing services, awareness and support of contact tracing activities, direct linkages to in-language, culturally responsive, supportive resources, including food, housing, and economic security, as well as support 
for those that are being asked to isolate and quarantine as necessary. I want to particularly thank the Advancement Project California for their leadership, and I have immense gratitude to the cross-sector group that has come together representing justice, labor rights, media, philanthropy, and other organizations to address the root cause of the inequities we continue to see that affect our black and brown residents. There is incredible power in collective thinking and collective action. And I thank everyone again uh, who's been on the front lines protesting and all those working to make sure we have just solutions. Thanks also to the Board of Supervisors and to the CEO for their leadership and support on this most important issue. We do look forward to keeping you up to date on this work and we're so grateful uh, for everyone who is making a difference and taking a stand against racism and violence. Thank you for using your voices and your actions. I do have an update today as well on the indicators that we're tracking through our recovery journey and the changes that we're seeing over time. Please advance slide one. And as I mentioned on Wednesday, when we are looking at trends, it is a good idea to look at daily seven-day averages over time. Using a seven-day average prevents the daily ups and downs from skewing the data and shows us a clearer picture, in this case, of our trends among people who have passed away. This first slide shows the average daily deaths since April 5th. And as you can see, we've had a, a slight peak and uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, as I've been reporting, deaths are down. Again, uh, this is uh, nowhere near where we'd like to be, uh, but we're happy that at least the line is now moving uh, in the right direction. So you can see that we're currently seeing average daily deaths declining. On March 8th, our average daily deaths was 46. And as of yesterday, the average daily death was 18 people. Again, our hearts go out to everybody who's experienced a loss. Our next slide, please. This slide shows the average daily deaths by race and ethnicity. And while you can notice that deaths are decreasing across all races and ethnicities, we are still seeing uh, significant inequities that translate to greater rates of death among people of color, as I noted earlier. This slide also shows that deaths among people of color are seeing a, a less of a decline than deaths among people who are white. Take the next slide, please. This slide uh, shows the average daily deaths by community income level. And again, we're seeing declines across all groups. However, the orange line at the top represents deaths among people living in higher poverty areas and demonstrates the inequities that I mentioned earlier. Next slide. Uh, this is just, uh, I want to make sure that um, we, we don't forget that although there's a decline, there's enormous inequity and disproportionality. Uh, so this shows you uh, just on a table that the mortality rates amongst people of color and people living in communities with fear, fewer resources continues to be significantly, significantly higher than those living in communities with very little poverty, and uh, those of us who are white. The next slide, please. Uh, like deaths, uh, daily, uh, the average daily number of hospitalizations has also decreased, and it's now somewhat plateaued um, at about, uh, on average, uh, 1,400 people being hospitalized each day. Uh, next slide, please. 
Um, and this, this demonstrates that our capacity uh, in the intensive care units and our supply of ventilators has remained relatively stable over time. Next slide. Uh, our supply of personal protective equipment is meeting the goals across the board, with over 80% of hospitals having at least a 15-day supply of N95 masks, other masks, eye protection, and face shields. 79% of hospitals have a 15-day supply of gloves, and 66% of hospitals have a 15-day supply of gowns. I want to thank all of our hospital partners and EMS for making sure uh, that we continue to maintain the kind of personal protective equipment that every single healthcare worker needs in order to be able to do their job with as much safety as possible. The next slide. Uh, this slide uh, shows uh, the average daily reported number of diagnostic tests for COVID-19. And I want to again uh, thank the Department of Health Services. Uh, we've met our, we've exceeded our goal of uh, testing uh, at uh, being able to test 15,000 people a day. Uh, as a matter of fact, at the peak, we were testing over 20,000 people a day. And I do want to note that we've seen a decrease in testing uh, over the last two weeks. And this is likely reflective of the closure of some testing sites uh, to accommodate the protests. The next slide. Uh, finally, we continue to meet our goal for the percentage of COVID-19 cases that have a follow-up investigation started within one day of the Department of Public Health receiving information on the positive cases. Uh, over the last week, this number has ranged between 98% and 100%. We're going to continue to watch these indicators closely to understand how reopenings are affecting the spread of COVID-19 and our capacity to treat people who may become seriously ill. Our day-to-day -day actions have a huge impact on our progress and on our recovery journey. So please continue to use the tools we have at hand to slow the spread. Practice physical distancing and wear cloth face coverings when you're out and around others. I want to note that the data we're presenting today, again, reflects actions people were taking three weeks ago. Um, so please, 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 uh, as we're reopening uh, more places and more spaces, it becomes extraordinarily important for people uh, to practice that distancing six feet or more and to always have your cloth face covering on when you're going to be around other people. And in closing, as we mentioned on Wednesday, we issued a modified health officer order yesterday that permits additional sectors to reopen as early as today once they implement the required protocols for infection control and distancing. These businesses include gyms and fitness facilities, pro league arenas without live audiences, day camps, museums, galleries, zoos, and aquariums, campgrounds, RV parks, and outdoor recreation. This includes swimming pools, music, film, and television production, and hotels for leisure travel. Before a business can reopen, they must implement the protocols. These are not recommendations. These are requirements. And the modified health officer order and the protocols are available on our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. We ask that businesses take the time they need to fully implement the directives before they open their doors to employees, customers, and visitors, and that they provide a copy of their implementation plan to all of their employees. And as this weekend begins, please remember 
that a safe recovery journey relies on every single one of us, businesses and residents. We need to continue to work together and keep each other as safe as possible. With that, uh, we're ready for questions. And ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press one then zero on your telephone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating the one zero command. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up the handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press one then zero at this time. And we first turn to the line of Alex Wigglesworth with the LA Times. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you. Um, so I just wanted to confirm, um, are you noticing a rise in hospitalizations related to COVID-19? Because um, there have been anecdotal reports that hospitalizations are rising at places like County USD, um, but I believe you just said that they've been roughly stable. Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, for the system as a whole, uh, no, we've actually seen a decrease in uh, sort of the daily census. Um, I do want to note a couple of things. Uh, one is, again, the disproportionality that we see in uh, who's, uh, in particular, who's passing away uh, also affects who's hospitalized. And those hospitals that are serving uh, our black and brown communities are likely to have higher rates of hospitalizations uh, as a reflection of who, in fact, is more likely uh, to be uh, very sick uh, with COVID-19. Um, but yes, in general, across the entire system, we have had a definite decrease in the daily hospital census associated for COVID-19. I also want to note uh, that we would expect an uptick, a slight uptick, because uh, most hospitals are now testing every person that comes in uh, to be admitted into the hospital, even if it's for like a gallbladder surgery, uh, they're getting tested for COVID-19. And because we know there's asymptomatic uh, people, uh, people without any symptoms who can test positive, uh, we would imagine that as the hospitals uh, continue with this more routine testing of everybody that's going to be uh, residing in their hospital, that they too will pick up uh, more cases of COVID-19. We'll take the next question. And next we turn to the line of Brenda Gazar with Southern California News Group. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you. Um, my first question has to do with PPE at nursing homes. You mentioned that um, hospitals had enough PPE. Do you have a sense of whether uh, nursing homes or skilled nursing facilities have enough PPE? Is that something that you're actively tracking? Uh, and what's the verdict on that? Um, and my second question has to do with masking. Um, I know there was a report in Germany in late January that confirmed that there was asymptomatic transmission, that the virus could do that. Um, but yet uh, the county, I believe, in March, um, I'm sorry, April 24th, uh, put out the order that all healthcare workers in skilled nursing facilities needed to wear masks. So why do you think there was such a delay in making sure that everyone was wearing a mask in these facilities? Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, let me just start with the PPE uh, in nursing homes. We have a separate team at the Department of Public Health that really works to make sure that we can be helpful uh, for the nursing homes uh, and to uh, secure uh, the supply chains that are needed so that all of the employees and, in fact, now residents uh, have the kind of uh, PPE that's needed uh, for those places uh, to really operate as safely as possible. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, we make sure that nobody runs out of PPE, uh, but in terms of being able to keep in stock 
um, sort of 14-day supplies, the numbers are actually lower for the nursing homes. We're working really hard uh, to make sure that we've got a stockpile that's appropriate uh, for all of the nursing homes. Uh, right now, what we've done our best job on is making sure that no one's running out, uh, but we could do better, I think, as a whole, working with the state and our federal partners on making sure that they have an adequate stockpile of PPE. And in terms of the last question, you know, I want to note that the studies were very mixed at first, and as a matter of fact, they're still mixed studies on asymptomatic spread. Um, as soon as it became apparent to us in the nursing homes with data that actually demonstrated asymptomatic spread, uh, we moved in very quickly to change our guidance. But I want to note that even to this day, uh, there are conflicting research studies on uh, how much asymptomatic spread there is. You saw the WHO had a walk back their recommendation uh, just earlier this week saying that there was no asymptomatic spread. Uh, I stood here and actually said at that point that I am certain there's asymptomatic spread because we have our own data now uh, here in the county that actually demonstrates asymptomatic spread. But thanks for that question. We'll take the next question. And next we turn to line of Josh Haskell with ABC7. Please go ahead. Hey, Dr. Ferrer, uh, wondering if you've been in contact with the new interim director of the Orange County Healthcare Agency, and what is your reaction to his decision to go from masks being required in the county to now being strongly recommended? Yeah. Um, thanks. I haven't had an opportunity to welcome uh, the new health officer there. I, I want to give my thanks to the previous health officer, you know, who we worked with very closely, and I know that we'll have a very close working relationship, as we do with all of the Southern California uh, directors and uh, county health officers. Uh, these are really hard jobs. Uh, decisions are very specific to uh, each county, and, uh, and I understand that. You know, we, of course, uh, we're the largest county. We have a lot at stake in our reopening. We also have the highest numbers of, of everything across the state, uh, and masking is a really important part of, of our recovery. So we have, as you noted, uh, we have required that everyone, when they're around other people, uh, needs to wear a cloth face covering. Um, and, you know, we look forward to working with uh, all of our colleagues uh, across uh, Southern California in making sure we share with each other uh, what's working and best practices. So thank you. We'll take the next question. And next we turn to the line of Patrick Healy with NBC4. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. I'm curious. Um, if our uh, test rate goes rises above 8%, do we lose our variance? Is that automatic, or, or do we voluntarily surrender it at that point? Um, and if your colleague, Dr. Galley, is with you today, I'm wondering if she could elaborate more on uh, the modeling revelations from Wednesday. How much over one is the r not number? How many more cases do we expect in the coming weeks? and further detail on how ICU is going to deal with its capacity being squeezed. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, so, uh, no, I don't think, I don't actually think there's a process for, like, losing your variance. Um, I do think, uh, again, we work really closely with the state, uh, and they help us monitor our metrics as well as the state's metrics uh, that they have for all of the counties to make sure that we're not, um, you know, moving into an area uh, that's troubling. Um, as I noted earlier, you know, the state did ask us to take a hard look at the fact that our case counts are high. 
Uh, but we've been working with them and we've shown them our data that indicates that's really at this point a result of a lot of testing. And you're absolutely right, you know, should we, should we see an increase in positivity uh, rates, which, which we're likely uh, to do, I mean, that, that's entirely possible given uh, all of the uh, reopenings that are happening and the ability for people to actually mingle more with each other uh, in workplaces and in other places. Uh, if we see that increase, you know, we're going to be uh, needing to watch that very carefully and particularly to watch how it affects uh, what's going on in our hospital care system. Uh, again, you know, we, we look at this data every single day. We track it very carefully. Uh, if you start seeing a lot of increases in that positivity rate, that could indicate uh, more community transmission. We'd have to make sure we really understood what was driving uh, that, that increase in that rate. Um, sometimes it's just a, a reflection that you've done a lot more testing in one particular sector. Other times it's a reflection of, of exactly what we would worry about, a lot more community transmission. So we're going to watch that uh, very carefully over, over the next few weeks. We're going to make sure we don't put ourselves in any situation uh, where we're creating jeopardy uh, for all of the residents across the county. And I'll turn it over to Dr. Galley. She is here. Hi, thanks for the question. So with respect to the R, the effective transmission rate, the model projects that it's running just slightly above one, I would say around 1.2 or so. And this is projected out four weeks. So the data that's on the slides included on the DHS website show a projection out to uh, July 8th, that week, uh, the, the first or second week in July, showing it constant and stable at a, around that 1.2 rate. Um, and with respect to your other questions on ICU bed capacity, it's because of that slight upward trend in the R, where previously it was under one and now it's projected at being slightly over one. Those small differences can make a large difference over time in the use of beds. Just as a reminder, the way the model works in is that it projects our, not based on the overall case positivity rate in the county or the numbers that are testing positive, because that's um, dependent on things like how many people are seeking tests or rates among asymptomatic individuals who would never need hospital care. Rather, the model looks at only those cases that end up requiring hospital-level care. So we're really tailoring those projections to what the demand is within the hospital setting, which is where our focus is. So with those numbers, the model projects that over the subsequent two to four weeks, there runs a degree of uncertainty that the current number of available ICU beds would be insufficient to accommodate the anticipated demand for COVID patients. This is something that we um, are working on with our EMS agency, which is part of DHS. They've had conference calls and discussions on an ongoing basis with all of the private hospitals as well as with the DHS public hospitals. And hospitals are doing just as they always have throughout the pandemic a variety of things to accommodate this potential increase in patients. First, there's the ability to reduce the census in the ICUs by curbing elective procedures and elective surgeries if that can be safely done so. They can make room for additional patients uh, by increasing their staffing, shifting more toward team-based staffing models, bringing on new staff through various mechanisms. And then they can also turn physical space outside of the ICUs where needed, including post-anesthesia care units, uh, emergency departments, other physical settings that may not be needed for the care of other patients so that, that it can accommodate ICU. When we look at those anticipated number of ICU beds, 
there's not a need to bring on additional physical capacity. The physical hospitals are generally able to accommodate the surgeon patients, um, and that's the best and safest place for patients to be taken care of given the overall infrastructure that's located within the hospital settings. So our goal is to make sure that hospitals can accommodate and take care of the patients within their physical buildings by making, by uh, having them have the appropriate amount of PPE and supplies, ventilators and, and staff. And I would just remind you all that the model continues to show that we have more than enough ventilators to take care of those patients that anticipate a need for mechanical ventilation. We'll take the next question. And next we turn to the line of Dave Lopez with Channel 2 News. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, good afternoon. Uh, doctor, obviously you wouldn't be moving this quickly if you didn't think that uh, the data was there and the numbers seem to be uh, pretty impressive. Uh, but still there's a lot of fear from people that, that behind in their mind they're saying, we're going too fast, we're going too fast. How do you assure them that it is okay to go out and, and test the waters, if you will? And my second point on the, on the question of masks, uh, I wonder if you can give us an explanation on this. Uh, Japan, where just about everywhere is a mask, the, the death rate is 920 compared to the U.S., 116,000. And the deaths per million in the United States is uh, 1 million per, uh, 351 per 1 million. Japan, it's only seven. Is it too simple to say that it's the mass that is the difference? Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Dave, for, for both questions. You know, maybe I'll start with the, the masking question. Um, you know, we, we had a lot to learn around the power of masking, and uh, we do think that the masks make a huge difference. There's more than enough evidence to date now that shows that uh, masking up uh, with cloth face coverings uh, does reduce the rate of transmission. Uh, and I think it is partly uh, what may account for the lower numbers in Japan. I think there's a lot of other things that uh, contributed uh, to Japan's rates. And um, you know, I'd be happy to talk at length uh, at another time about sort of some of the differences in uh, how, uh, how a pandemic is handled in, in some countries versus others, uh, because I think there are many different strategies that are, can be used. Uh, we've used some successfully here. Uh, there are others that we haven't really employed uh, as much of, you know, sort of the contact tracing side of the house, all of that technology that really is able to track people's movements, does a much quicker job of identifying people who have been in contact with others who are now positive for COVID-19. And we don't really, we're not really using that type of technology here uh, across the country. And it's something that, you know, we need to look at again, uh, make sure it works for, for us and for our communities. Um, but I think there, there are other places where there are differences that may help account for some of the differences we're seeing uh, in the mortality rates. And in terms of uh, the, the broad question about, you know, people being nervous uh, about going out, people still feeling like maybe we're moving too fast. Um, you know, I, I want to first note a couple of things. Um, one is, particularly for people with underlying health conditions and for people who are older, uh, we do not recommend that you go out and that you partake in a lot of different activities. We've recommended both to employers and to uh, residents uh, that you are at much higher risk if you're in this group and it is best to stay home as much as possible. So I want to note um, that while there is a lot of ability for, for people to actually go and do some things differently than we did a month ago, uh, everyone uh, should really assess uh, their risk uh, for ha having serious illness and make decisions accordingly, and please work with your employers as well. 
Uh, I do also want to note that uh, for people who are not comfortable um, with some of the sectors that are reopening as, as a customer or as a visitor, you know, we urge you not to uh, do activities that are beyond your comfort zone. Uh, and I, I know that there's a lot of variability on the kind of risk that people want to assume for themselves and for their loved ones. I also know there's a lot of variability in the conditions in which we're all living our lives. For those of us who are living with people who are more vulnerable, we might make very different decisions uh, about what we want to do and what activities we want to engage in than other people who don't have uh, that same family configuration. Uh, I do also want to note that uh, a successful recovery journey for L.A. County depends in particular on those sectors that reopen to actually adhere to our protocols. If there is not adherence to the protocols, if we are not taking the basic steps to protect workers and then to protect customers and visitors, uh, this will be way more risky than it needs to be. And we'll take the next question. And next we turn to the line of Jim Roop with Westwood One News. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, Doctor. The World Health Organization today said that, and it, it posted some guidance on this too, that for women who test positive for COVID-19 are encouraged to continue to initiate and continue to breastfeed. Uh, saying that they've not been able to locate or there's no indication of live virus in breast milk. And even if there was a risk, the risk, the, the reward or the benefit of the breast milk would far outweigh the risk. I was just wondering if you had any evidence or if, if science that you has would, would counter that or support that or what's your thoughts on women testing positive with COVID-19 still breastfeeding. Yeah, you know, I, I so appreciate that the WHO looked at this issue and is, is publishing some guidance. Our team is also looking at it. We're also talking to the CDC uh, about any additional studies that really um, support uh, what the WHO issued today. It is very important that women uh, who are able to uh, can breastfeed. And, and I think we need to resolve the issue uh, very quickly in terms of the guidance we're issuing. So we're anxious to look at what the WHO issued today. We're also anxious to look at all the research publications, and then we'll work uh, with our federal and state partners uh, to tailor that, uh, that guidance to uh, experiences that people have today. But I wanna note in general, uh, the, the public health department, as all public health departments, stand firmly behind the importance of breastfeeding where it's possible. So we'll take a look at this and uh, We'll, uh, we'll come back and, and either mirror the guidance or issue something that's slightly different. We have time for one more question. And our final question comes from the line of Brittany Meha with the LA Times. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. This question is for Director Ferrer and Supervisor Barger. I was wondering, regarding testing, um, are you satisfied with the over week long delay in testing that took place at Norwalk Skilled Nursing and Wellness Center? There's like at least 42 residents and 32 employees tested positive and at least six who died. Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, Supervisor Barger is not here today. Um, I'll take my best stab at it, uh, but we're also happy to talk with you uh, offline with more detail. Um, you know, we're always uh, saddened when there's uh, deaths that are happening at our nursing homes. And we certainly have a lot of evidence uh, from all the testing that has happened that once you test uh, in a nursing home setting, you're able to identify a lot of sort of asymptomatic cases. 
um, which really means that testing uh, is very, very, it's a very, very important tool, and we have to be able to use it, and we have to move fairly quickly. I do know that sometimes the logistics, it seems very simple to put the testing in place, and sometimes uh, even our team has been frustrated by uh, barriers that crop up around the logistics, and uh, some of that is is really just working uh, with the fact that there are three shifts at, at the nursing homes and making sure that we can uh, manage to test all of the employees. Some of that is working with the administration to put in place protocols. Some of it is staffing issues. Um, so I don't think it's good when there are delays at all, and I'm not apologizing for delays. I don't have the particulars on what were the factors that contributed to delays here. I know that our team is working uh, really hard, almost around the clock, to make sure that we don't continue to see uh, delays, especially unnecessary delays in testing at the skilled nursing facilities. Um, thank you, and now we'll move to remarks in Spanish. Nos da tristeza informarles que 20 personas adicionales han fallecido por causas de COVID-19. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 2,832. El 93% de las personas que fallecieron por causas de COVID-19 tenían condiciones delicadas de salud. Este número se ha mantenido constante durante la pandemia. Hoy estamos reportando 1,633 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de personas que dieron positivo por COVID-19 en el condado de Los Ángeles a 70,476. Estamos reportando también 488 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. 7,250 personas que dieron positivo para COVID-19 fueron hospitalizadas en algún momento durante su enfermedad, cual representa el 10% de todos los casos positivos. Actualmente, hay 1,389 personas con casos confirmados de COVID-19 uh, que están hospitalizados. El 29, 29% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 20% de personas están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 612 entornos de congregación residenciales y no residenciales con al menos un caso confirmado o de sospecha de ser COVID-19. El número total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 16,142. Y esto incluye 10,510 residentes y 5,632 empleados. Esto es el 23% de todos los casos. También nos da tristeza informar que 1,502 personas que vivían en entornos institucionales han fallecido por COVID-19. El 89% de las personas que vivían en entornos institucionales que fallecieron residían en centros de enfermería especializada. Estamos reportando 1,027 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel, 768 entre personas encarceladas reportadas por el Departamento del Aguacil y 259 empleados. Hay 178 casos en la prisión estatal y 759 casos en las prisiones federales. Ahora hay 32 casos en las instalaciones juveniles. 
Me da tristeza informar que una persona adicional falleció de causas relacionadas con COVID-19 que estaba encarcelada en Terminal Island. Esto trae el número total de personas encarceladas que fallecieron de COVID-19 a 9. El Departamento del Aguacil informa que 332 casos positivos, uh, hay 332 casos positivos entre el personal, 298 empleados están en cuarentena y 1,797 empleados han regresado a trabajar. El Departamento de Bomberos informa que 605 miembros del personal han sido evaluados por COVID-19, 32 han dado resultados positivos, 11 están aislados en casa, 31, uh, 31 personas han regresado al trabajo y una persona está enferma en casa. Más de 761 mil resultados de la prueba de COVID-19 han sido reportadas al Departamento de Salud Pública y el 8% fueron, dieron resultados positivos. Tenemos una actualización hoy sobre los datos de raza y etnicidad y nivel de ingresos que estamos analizando para comprender cómo COVID-19 está afectando más a algunos grupos que otros. Para las 2,629 personas que fallecieron donde se ha identificado la raza y etnicidad, el 41% son latinos, el 29% son blancos, el 17% son asiáticos, el 11% son afroamericanos, menos de 1% son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y 1% se identifican con otra raza o etnicidad. Analizamos estos números como tasas por cada 100,000 personas para hacer comparaciones con otros grupos de la población y comprender qué grupos se ven más afectados. El número de muertes ha disminuido ligeramente en todos los grupos y sigue habiendo una desproporcionalidad significativa entre los grupos. La tasa de mortalidad entre los nativos de Hawái y los isleños del Pacífico es de 52 personas por 100,000. Y entre los afroamericanos, la tasa de mortalidad es de 33 personas por cada 100,000. Este número es mucho más bajo de lo que informamos, um, ya que hubo una reclasificación de los datos. Y esta es una estimación más precisa de la tasa de mortalidad entre este grupo. Para las personas que se identifican como latinas, la tasa de mortalidad es de 32 personas por cada 100,000. Para las personas que son asiáticas, la tasa de mortalidad es de 23 personas por cada 100,000. Y para los blancos, la tasa de mortalidad es de 17 personas por cada 100,000. Y cuando observa esos datos según los niveles de pobreza de la comunidad, vemos que las personas que viven en áreas con altas tasas de pobreza tienen casi cuatro veces la tasa de muertes de COVID-19, 56 personas por cada 100,000 en comparación con las comunidades con niveles de pobreza más bajos que tienen una tasa de mortalidad de 15 personas por cada 100,000. Estos números siguen siendo inquietantes. Y como señaló la supervisora Solís a principios de esta semana, el martes, de, eh, el martes la Junta de Supervisores escuchó y aprobó una moción escrita uh, por, los, uh, por las supervisoras Solís y Kuo y extendemos nuestro agradecimiento por su liderazgo y el apoyo de la Junta uh, por señalar el racismo como un problema de salud pública.
que se ha intensificado durante esta pandemia de COVID-19. Lo más importante es señalar que el racismo es un problema que solo se puede abordar a través de una colaboración como la que fue descrita en esta moción, que se basa en las fortalezas y las relaciones de confianza um, que tienen las entidades dentro del gobierno y fuera del, del gobierno y que se alimenta del deseo de cambiar los sistemas y las prácticas um, que impactan a personas de color y personas con bajos ingresos. Estamos, con, eh, estamos en tiempos económicos difíciles, uh, pero los departamentos de salud pública, servicios de salud y servicios de salud mental plenamente um, apoyan la innovación que es necesaria uh, para trabajar con las clínicas y organizaciones que están basadas en la comunidad uh, por su experiencia, su fuerza laboral uh, que es altamente calificada y por su pasión y compromiso para servir a los residentes a través del, del condado de Los Ángeles. Gracias al Advancement Project California por su coordinación y por su um, y, y nuestra inmensa gratitud al grupo intersectoral que ellos han uh, traído a la mesa, uh, cual representa la justicia, los derechos laborales, los medios de comunicación, la filantropía y otras organizaciones, uh, solo por nombrar algunas. Existe un, un poder increíble en la acción colectiva y esperamos mantenerlos actualizados uh, sobre este trabajo. También tengo información sobre los datos que estamos vigilando uh, y los cambios que hemos visto con el tiempo. Uh, cuando le, analizamos los datos, es una buena idea observar los promedios diarios de siete días a lo largo del tiempo. El uso de un promedio de siete días evita que los altibajos diarios afecten los datos y muestra una imagen más clara de lo que está pasando con las muertes. Esta primera diapositiva muestra el promedio de fallecimientos diarios desde el 5 de abril. Y puede ver que actualmente estamos viendo una disminución en el promedio de las muertes diarias. El 8 de marzo, nuestro promedio de muertes diarias fue de 46. Y hasta ayer, el promedio de muertes diarias fue de 18. Next slide. Esta diapositiva muestra el promedio de muertes diaria por raza e etnicidad. Si bien los fallecimientos disminuyen en todas las razas y etnicidades, todavía vemos mayores tasas de mortalidad entre las personas de color, como señalamos anteriormente. Esta diapositiva también muestra que las personas entre las personas perdón, que las muertes entre las personas de color están disminuyendo menos que las personas uh, blancas. Next slide. Esta diapositiva muestra el promedio de muertes diarias por nivel de ingresos de la comunidad y nuevamente estamos viendo disminuciones entre los grupos. Sin embargo, la línea anaranjada en la parte superior representa las muertes entre las personas que viven en zonas de mayor pobreza y demuestra las desigualdades mencionadas anteriormente. Next slide. 
Y como puede ver y como mencionamos anteriormente, las tasas de mortalidad entre las personas de color y las personas que viven en comunidades con menos recursos continúan siendo más altas. Next slide. Al igual que las muertes, el número promedio diario de hospitalizaciones ha disminuido y se, ha, y se mantiene estable. Next slide. Y nuestra capacidad en unidades de cuidados intensivos y nuestro suministro de ventiladores se han mantenido estables. Next slide. Nuestro suministro de equipo de protección personal está cumpliendo con los objetivos en todos los ámbitos, con más del 80% de hospitales con un suministro de al menos de 15 días de máscaras, protección ocular y protectores faciales. El 79% de los hospitales tienen un suministro de guantes para 15 días y el 66% de los hospitales tienen un suministro de batas para 15 días. Next slide. Esta diapositiva muestra el número promedio diario de pruebas de COVID-19. Gracias al Departamento de Servicios de Salud, tenemos la capacidad de evaluar nuestra meta de 15,000 personas cada día. Sin embargo, hemos visto una reducción en las pruebas en las últimas dos semanas. Esto probablemente se debe al cierre de uh, algunos sitios de prueba en las últimas dos semanas uh, para dar cabida a las protestas. Next slide. Finalmente, seguimos cumpliendo nuestra meta para el porcentaje de casos de COVID-19 que tienen una investigación de seguimiento iniciada dentro eh, el, del primer día de recibir la información. Durante la última semana, este número ha cambiado y ha estado entre 98% y 100%. Observaremos atentamente estos indicadores para comprender cómo las reaperturas están afectando la propagación de COVID-19 y nuestra capacidad para dar uh, cuidado médico a las personas que pueden enfermarse gravemente. Nuestras acciones diarias tienen una, un gran impacto en nuestro progreso. Así que, por favor, continúe usando las herramientas que tenemos uh, en, en pie para frenar la propagación. Practique el distanciamiento físico, use sus cubiertas de tela de cara uh, cuando esté afuera y alrededor de los demás. Para terminar, como mencionamos el miércoles, emitimos ayer una orden oficial de salud modificada que permite que sectores adicionales reabran tan pronto implementen los protocolos requeridos para el control de infecciones. Estos negocios y espacios incluyen gimnasios, estados proligas sin público en vivo, campamentos de un día, museos, galerías, zoológicos y acuarios. Uh, parques de casas rodantes, RVs, por, por sus siglas en inglés, y recreación al aire libre, incluidas piscinas. Producción musical de cine y de, uh, y de televisión y hoteles. Uh, antes de que una empresa o negocio pueda reabrir, uh, deben implementar los protocolos. La orden, los protocolos modificados, información sobre casos y fallecimientos, todos están disponibles en nuestro sitio web de publichealth.lacounty.gov.
y le pedimos a los negocios que tomen su tiempo para implementar los protocolos completamente uh, antes de reabrir sus puertas a sus empleados y a sus clientes y proporcionen una copia de su plan a sus empleados. Al comenzar nuestro fin de semana, recuerden que nuestra salud y seguridad depende en todos nosotros, um, ya sean negocios o residentes. Gracias. And now we'll move on to remarks in Armenian. Varyor Bolorin. Shnorakalen verahaskich horurti bolor antamnerin. Nerka iravichaki veraberal tagakutsunere hetevialnen. I sort savov haitnumek yevask san mahvan masin. Այս մարդկանցից 12-ը 65 տարեկանից բարձր են, որոնցից 13-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 1 տարիքը 41-65-ն է եւ ունեցել է առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 2832-ի Los Angeles շրջանում։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 93%-ը ունեն ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջության լուրջ խնդիրներ ունեն մնալ տանը եւ հնարավորինս խուսափել սերտ կապերից։ 2629-ը մարդկանց համար, ովքեր մահացել են, ռասա էթնիկական պատկանելությունը հետեւյալն է։ 41% լատինո լատինեքս, 29% սպիտակ, 17% ասիական, 1% բնիկ հավայան կամ խաղաղ օվկիանոսյան 11% աֆրոամերիկացիներ եւ 1% մեկալ ռասա մեկ այլ էթնիկ խումբ այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 1633 նոր դեպքերի մասին սա բերում է Los Angeles շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 70476-ի Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Long Beach քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 2512 դեպքեր, իսկ Pasadena քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 1023 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ։ Մենք հայտնում ենք 488 հաստատված դեպք անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց շրջանում։ Ապաստան գտած 211 անձինք Պատշաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են, իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված են։ Անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց մեծ մասը, ովքեր COVID-19-ի համար եղել են դրական, եղել են միության փրկարար առաքելության հյուրերը։ 7250 դեպք ինչ որ պահի հոսպիտալացվել է, որը կազմում է բոլոր դրական դեպքերի 10%-ը։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 1458 մարդ որոնցից 29-ը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժանմունքում, իսկ 20%-ը միացված են շնչառական օդափոխիչների։ Ներկայումս քննություններ են կատարվում 612 ինստիտուցիոնալ բնակության հաստատություններում։ Մենք զեկուցում ենք, որ հաստատված 1027 դեպքեր են արձանագրվել քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներում։ 768 դատապարտյալ եւ 259-ը աշխատակազ։ Ավելի քան 761000 մարդ տեսավորվել են եւ արդյունքները զեկուցել են Los Angeles շրջան, որից 8%-ը դրական են։ Ես ուզում եմ քաջալերել ձեզ տեսավորվել, եթե ունեք ախտանիշներ։ Տարածաշրջանային տեսավորման վայրերում ժամադրության համար կարող եք այցելել 
covid19.lacounty.gov slash testing. Այսուրվանից հունիս 12-ից ուժի մեջ է առողջապահության պատասխանատուի կարգադրությունը, որը թույլ է տալիս, հետևյալ ոլորդների վերաբացման, այն բանից հետո, երբ նրանք կիրականացնեն անռաժեշ տարձանագրությունները պրո լիգայի ասպարեզներ առանց կենթանի լսարանի, ծերեկային ճամբարներ, թանգարաններ, պատկիրասրաններ, կենթանաբանական այգիներ, ակվարյումներ, ճամբարներ, արվիս բոսայգիներ և բացության հանգստի տար Առողջապահության նախարարի հրամանը պարունակում է վերաբացման վերաբերալ արձանագրություն, ապահովելու համար, որ դա հնարավորինս անվտանք կերպով կիրականացվի աշխատողների, հաճախորդների և բնակիչների համար։ Առողջապահու որպես հիշեցում այս ձերնարկությունների աշխատակիցներն ու այցելուները պետք է հակնեն կտորի դիմակ և վիզիկական հերավորություն պահպանեն արնվազը վեծ ոտնաճապ բոլոր ժամանակներում։ Սա շատ կարևոր է, եթե մենք վերաբա� Եվ ես նորակալություն եմ հայտնում դրա համար։ Ձեր գործողությունները կյանքեր եմ պրկում։ Շնորակալություն։ Thank you. Now the remarks in Korean. Աննյանսիմնիկա լոս անջելս կանտի բոգոն դանգուգի բարպյոհան դեիլի ռիպոտրը բարսիմդրի� 이중 14명은 65세 이상이고 그중 13명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 이중 1명은 41에서 65세 사이이고 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 롱비치시에서는 5명의 사망자가 있었고 자세한 점은 롱비치시 웹사이트에서 보실 수 있습니다. 롱비치시를 제외한 새로운 사망자 15명 중에 10명은 전문 간호시설에서 거주하고 있었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 2,832명입니다. 코로나 바이러스로 사망한 분들 중에 93%가 이미 질환을 가지고 있었으며 이 수치는 계속 유지되고 있습니다. 만약 이미 만성 폐질환, 천식, 심장병, 에이즈 혹은 면역체계 질환을 가지고 계시다면 가능한 집에 머무르시고 다른 사람과 밀접한 접촉을 피하시고 아프기 시작하면 바로 의사에게 연락하십시오. 담당 의사가 필요하시다면 211로 전화하셔서 의료 서비스 제공자 정보를 얻으실 수 있습니다. 오늘로써 1633건의 새로운 확진 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서 총 확진 케이스 수는 7,476건입니다. 이 수는 롱비치시에서 2,512건, 파사디나시에서 1,023건이 있었고 이두 시는 각 보건구가 따로 있음을 알려드립니다. 노숙자들 가운데 확진 케이스 수는 488건입니다. 
이들 중 211명은 보호소에서 고립되어 있고 밀촉 접촉차는 격리되었습니다. 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 자들 중 7,250명이 병원에 입원한 적이 있었으며 이중 10%는 양성 확진 케이스였습니다. 현재 1,389명이 양성 확진자로 병원에 입원해 있으며 이중 29%는 중환자실에 20%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 이 수치는 점점 줄어들고 있습니다. 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 총 612개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였으며 이중 501개는 현재 조사 중이고 111개는 조사를 마쳤습니다. 이 시설들은 양로원, 전문 간호시설, 보호소, 치료소, 서포트 리빙, 교도소, 직장, 음식점, 상점, 교육기관 등을 포함합니다. 시설에서의 총 확진 케이스는 16,142건이고 이중 1,510명은 거주자이며 5,632명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 시설에 사는 사람들 중에 사망자 수는 1,502명이고 모든 사망자 수의 89%입니다. 대부분이 전문 간호시설에 살고 있었습니다. 교도소 시설에서 총 1,027건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 768건은 수감자이며 259명은 일하는 사람입니다. 주정보교도소에서는 178건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 128명은 수감자이며 50명은 일하는 사람입니다. 연방교도소에서는 759건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 744명은 수감자이며 15명은 일하는 사람입니다. 소년원에서는 32건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 15명은 수감자이고 17명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 터밀러 아일랜드에서는 수감자 중한 명이 더 사망함으로써 수감자 중총 사망자 수는 19명입니다. 아, 죄송합니다. 이 시설들의 확증 또 의심 케이스에 관한 정보와 모든 테스팅 케이스 사망자 수 대시보드, 회복 대시보드를 보건국 웹사이트 publichealth.lacounty.gov에서 보실 수 있습니다. 보안강국에서는 직원 중에 332명이 확진자였고 298명이 격리되었으며 1,797명의 직원이 다시 복귀하였습니다. 소방국에서는 605명이 테스트를 받았으며 이중 32건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 11명은 회복하였으며 31명은 다시 복귀하였고 1명은 집에서 회복 중입니다. 지금까지 LA보건구로 76만 1천 건 이상의 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 것으로 보고되었고 이중 8%는 양성 결과였습니다. 테스트 장소와 테스트 예약은 온라인으로 covid19.lacounty.gov.testing 웹사이트에서 알아보실 수 있습니다. 인종 민족성이 알려진 2,629명의 사망자 중에 41%는 라틴계, 29%는 백인, 17%는 동양인, 11%는 흑인, 1% 이하는 하와이 태평양섬 원주민, 1%는 기타입니다. 하와이 태평양섬 원주민의 사망률은 10만 명당 53명, 흑인 사망률은 10만 명당 33명입니다. 라틴계는 10만 명당 32명, 동양인은 10만 명당 23명, 백인은 10만 명당 17명입니다. 이 데이터를 지역 빈곤 수준과 비교해 보았을 때 높은 빈곤층에 사는 사람이 10만 명당 56명, 낮은 빈곤층에 사는 사람이 10만 명당 15명, 그러므로 코로나 바이러스로 인한 사망률이 4배 더 높았습니다. 이 수치는 매우 충격적이며 계속되는 행동이 요구됩니다. 경제적으로 어려운 시기이지만 
헬스 인테그레이션 앨라이언스의 닥터 갈리와 쉐리는 카운티가 지역 커뮤니티의 클리닉과 단체들의 경험과 전문 인력, 열정 또 헌신으로서 이 활동들을 할수 있도록 도와주었는데 이 활동들에는 코로나 바이러스 테스트 서비스에 대한 액세스 증가, 접촉 추적 활동에 대한 협조, 다양한 언어로 제공, 고립 또한 격리 중에 필요한 음식과 거주지 또 다른 혜택과 같은 지원들이 포함됩니다. 수정된 보건 담당자 명령과 관련해서 알려드리겠습니다. 수요일에 언급되었듯이 어제 수정된 보건 담당자 명령이 발인되었고 빠르면 오늘부터 거리 두기와 감염 조치 프로토콜을 시행한다면 더 많은 사업체들이 영업을 재개할 수 있도록 허락되었습니다. 이 사업체와 장소들은 헬스장, 피트니스 센터, 실제 관중이 없이 하는 프로리그 경기장, 데이캠프장, 박물관, 갤러리 미술관, 동물원, 수족관, 캠프그라운드, 아비파크, 야외 레크리에이션, 수영장, 음악, 영화, TV 프로덕션, 레저 여행을 위한 호텔 등이 포함됩니다. 영업 재개를 전에 프로토콜을 반드시 시행해야 합니다. 수정된 명령과 프로토콜은 웹사이트 publichealth.lacounty.gov에서 보실 수 있습니다. 사업체들은 직원과 손님, 방문객들에게 문을 열기 전에 직원들에게 실행 계획 사본을 주어야 하며 이 지침을 따르기 위해서 시간을 들여야 할 것입니다. 이번 주말을 시작하면서 안전한 회복의 길을 위해 우리 모두는, 즉 사업체 그리고 거주자 모두는 모두에게 달렸고 서로 가능한 한 안전하게 보호하기 위해서 함께 일해야 할 것입니다. 감사합니다. Next. Alan Chang from Environmental Health will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 各位下午好，感谢全体督查委员在这个具有挑战的时刻带领我们抗疫。请允许我为大家更新目前的疫情。很不幸，我们又有二十人因新冠病毒去世，其中十四人是六十五岁以上的长者。在这十四人中，有十四十三人患有其他疾病。其中一人是介于四十一岁到六十五岁之间，这人也患有其他疾病。长滩市有五例因新冠病毒去世，具体资料可以从市政府网站查询。这样总的死亡人数就达到了两千八百三十二人。我们与那些因新冠病毒失去自信的家庭在一起，我们为你们祈祷。因新冠病毒去世的人中，百分之九十三的人都患有其他疾病。这个比例在整个疫情期间都比较稳定、比较平稳。所以，对那些年长者，尤其是如果你患有其他疾病，请继续留在家里，尽量居家，不要外出。请继续避免与其他人接触。如果你出现即便是轻微的症状，请立即与你的医生联系。如果你需要找医生，请拨打二一一，他们可以帮助你在你的家附近找到医生。新天病例，今天我们新添一千六百三十三新冠病例。这样，洛杉矶县呈阳性的新冠病例。总数就上升了七万四百七万零四百七十六例。
，这七万零四百七十六例中，包括长滩市的两千五百一十二例和帕萨迪纳市的一千零二十三例，两个城市都有独立的卫生部。这中间有四百八十八例来自无家可可可归的人，我们已给其中二百一十一人提供庇护所。并做了相应的隔离和与其他人亲密接触的防疫措施。住院人数，现有七千二百五十人阳性患者住过医院，治了过该病毒，这占总测试为阳性新冠病毒的患者百分之十。现在正住在医院的人有一千三百八十九人，其中。百分之二十九的人数住在加护病房，而加护病房中又有百分之二十人是在使用呼吸机。公共机构方面的情况，我们已对六百一十二人、六百一十二个大型机构和住宅进行了调查。这些机构中，至少有一个是已知的新冠病毒患者，其中五百零一个人在调查中。一百一十一个已接触调查，这些机构包括疗养院、辅助居住所、避难所、治疗中心、院住居住中心、管教所、工作场所、餐饮或零售店以及教育中心。所有机构确诊病例的总数为一万六千一百四十二人，其中居民是一万零五百一十人，员工占。五千六百三十二人，这机构人数占总共的感染人数的百分之二十三。我们非常沉痛，因新冠病毒去世的人中有一千五百零二人来自机构住所，而这机构住所中的百分之八十九的人，这是来自于首脸护理机构。我们为这些在机构住所中逝世的家庭。和朋友送去我们的哀悼，寄托我们的哀思。监禁场所，据县警局提供的资料，监狱中有一千零二十七例新冠病患者，其中七百六十八八人为囚犯，两百五十九人为管教人员。周监狱没有变，有一百七十八例，其中。两百二十八人为囚犯，五十人为管教人员。联邦监狱有七百五十九人，其中七百四十四人为囚犯，十五人为管教人员。现在到现在为止，少年管教所有三十四人，其中十五人为囚犯，十七人为管教人员。我们现公共卫生网栏里。备有康复专栏，更新这些机构的相关资料，如确诊人数、疑似病例、测试数量及死亡人数。警局或消防局的员工资料：洛杉矶县警局有三百三十日人呈阳性，两百九十八人正在被检疫，一千七百九十七人已康复返回工作岗位。洛杉矶消防局有六百零五人做了新冠病毒测试，其中三十二人呈阳性，十一人在家隔离，三十一人已康复工作，一人因其他病休
，感谢县警长瓦达诺瓦和消防局主管欧斯比。测试方面的资料，洛县公共卫生局总共收共收集了七十六万的新冠病毒检测结果，其中百分之八的检测样本呈阳性。公众可以通过以下网站和附近的检测站预约测定时间。网站的名字为 c o v i d 19点 l a county 点 g o v testing。种族、族裔和收入相关资料的更新，更新一些。新冠病毒与种族、族裔或收入方面的资料，通过细致的分析，试图理解新冠病毒对各族裔的不同影响，如对一种族裔的影响大于对另一种族裔的影响。因新冠病毒去世的两千六百二十九人中，人种、族裔所占的比例是如下：拉丁裔占百分之四十一，白人占百分之二十九。亚洲人占百分之十七，非裔占百分之十一。夏威夷和太平洋岛原住民所占的比例不足百分之一，还有其他族裔总共百分之一。如果我们用不同族裔每十十万人中对应的数字相比较，我们就可以更好的进行跨族裔的比较。比较结果就能揭示为什么有的族群受新冠病毒的影响要高于其他族群。尽管目前新冠死亡人数大幅下降，但各族裔之间的死亡比例、失衡的状况仍然存在。对夏威夷或太平洋岛原住民，这个比率是每十万中五十二人；对非裔，非裔这个比例是每十万中。三十三，我们通过对收集的重新分类所得出的这些结果，不比我们公布结结果要多低，但这些数据的更能反映各族裔的实际情况。对拉丁裔这个比例是每十万中三十二人，对亚裔这个比例是每十万中二十三人，而对白人这个比例是每十万中十七人。如果我们从贫富角度来看这个数据，那较贫困地区的死亡率是较是较富裕社区死亡率的四倍，较贫穷地区的死亡率是每十万人中五十六人，富裕地区的死亡率是每十万人中十五人。这一数据仍让我们感到不安，我们还需要。继续努力改善这种不平衡状态。正如督查委员索利斯曾经提到过的，在这个星期二，在督查委员的听证会上，一直通过了一项动议，动议为公正和公平的应对 COVID、COVID 瘟疫带给各族的不同伤害。我们再次感谢督查委员会提出的。种族歧视加深了 COVID-19 瘟疫的影响。像动议中所提出的
，种族歧视需要多方合作才能得以重视，需要政府或民间的合作，带着愿望来改善我们的制度和习惯，这样才能缓解文艺格有色人种或贫困人口的带来的不利影响。在目前的这种困难的时刻，卫生局的盖里。和谢润博士全力支持县政府采取全新的财力运作地方诊所和组织，支援这些拥有专业知识、熟练员工及热情的态度来帮助社区增加 COVID 的测试能力服务、接触耕种服务和其他如食品、居住及其他与隔离、防御相关的服务。感谢加州向前这一项目，感谢他们的协调，通过与多方，包括司法、劳工权利、媒体、慈善机构以及其他机构等等的协调，群策群力的提议力量是巨大的。感谢众多的群体的工作，感谢县督查委员会及各机关的管理者。我们希望你们的能和我们一起继续一起工作，为终结歧视或压迫发出你们的声音。刚刚我们有卫生主管对卫生主管你做了修改，在结束前我要重述一下。进入星期三，我在这里提到过的，昨天也就是星期四，我们重新颁发了卫生卫生主管主管令，我们称为卫生主管修修改令。修改令允许更多的行业从今天开始，啊、呃、复工，重新开业。但要遵守卫生主管令中所规定的关于感染控制或社交距离的公规定。以下所列是今天可以重新开业的一些商业或地方：一是健身中心，第二是竞技场所，但竞技场所不能有观众；还有日间夏令营。再就是博物馆、艺术馆、动物园和水族馆，还有露营地、休闲车辆停靠的地方或室内娱乐场所，包括娱乐、包括游泳池、音乐、电影及电视生产基地也可以重新开放，还有度假旅馆。但我要提醒，任何商业活动重启前都应当充分的实施。完全的实施相对应的规定。卫生主管令修改令中附有对各个行业行业有规定的相应的规定条例。各个行业可以通过我们的网站 p u b l i c h e a l t h 点。l a county 点 g o v 来查询相关的你们所需要获得的规定。我们慎重的要求业主在重新开业前全面的阅读和理解，并全面的实施卫生主管修改令中的规定，并给各员工发一分发一本副本。当又一个周末来临时，请我们大家记住。需要我们大家一起，包括企业和居民一起努力，才能让我们有一个安全的重启环境。
Thank you. That's all for today. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health Podcast.